Tonight our topic is uh, Revelation's rapture, but let's begin with a word of prayer. Oh, loving Father, we thank you so much for another evening to come together and open up the bread of life. Lord, we want to learn, we want to grow, and we want to know what the Bible has to say about your coming. And so, Lord, we pray the Holy Spirit would give us the wisdom that we need, help us to understand, help us to hear, and Lord, help us to be ready for that coming. We want to we know everything that you have that you can give to us to prepare us for that day. And we pray and ask for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, it says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And so here we see in Revelation chapter 14 this picture of Jesus coming and he's got this sickle in his hand and he's ready for a harvest. And what harvest is that? That's right, that's the harvest of his people, isn't it? He's coming to get his believers. In John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3, Jesus gave us these beautiful words. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus promised us that he is coming again, that we can count on him. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says, Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The coming of Jesus is what the Bible calls the blessed hope. It is the very hope that we have been longing for as Christians. I like what Dwight L. Moody once said. He said, The return of the Lord to this earth is taught in the New Testament as clearly as any other doctrine in it. Whoever neglects this only has a mutilated gospel. Boy, I like that. Right? He's saying it's so abundantly clear that Jesus is coming again, that if you don't believe that or you don't see that, then you really don't have the whole gospel. He goes on to say, Yet I was in the church 15 or 16 years before I ever heard a sermon on it. I can see a reason for this. The devil does not want us to see this truth. For nothing would wake up the church so much. The moment a man realizes that Jesus Christ is coming back again to receive his followers to himself, This world loses its hold upon him. I believe that to be true. I believe that there is nothing quite like the message that Jesus Christ is coming again. It just stirs up our hearts, doesn't it? It it, it brings something in us to want to get prepared because we know he's coming soon. And that second coming of Christ is the blessed hope of the Bible. But you know, when it comes to the manner of His coming, that's when there's a lot of different opinions in the world today. And so someone might ask, well, does it really matter if we understand the manner of His coming? And I think that it does. I think it really matters whether or not we know the manner of His coming. Let me ask you a question. Was it important to know the manner of His coming the first time that He came. Yeah, the people in Christ's day were looking for a conquering king who was going to liberate them from their bondage of the Romans rather than a suffering servant who was going to liberate them from their bondage of sin. Notice what they said to Jesus as He's hanging on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 42. They said he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. In other words, they were saying, if he will prove himself to be the mighty king who is going to reestablish the national glory like we expect the Messiah to do, then we will believe in him. But because they ignored the prophecies of the suffering Messiah, They refused to believe and they crucified the Lord of glory. 
And then later on, after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, you'll remember those two disciples that expressed the feelings of many of the people of Israel when they said in Luke 24, verse 21, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. But they didn't realize that he had redeemed Israel. They just couldn't understand how he had done it because they thought to redeem Israel meant to take away the power of the Roman leaders and to give them the liberation that they were looking for as a physical nation. And so I ask you the question again, did the Jews understand the manner of Christ's first coming and did it have any effect on their readiness to receive Him? Absolutely. And I ask you, do you think that it could happen again? I think it could happen again. And I think it will. So let's look at the Bible to see what it says exactly about the coming of Jesus. And I want to start with some verses that I think that are used by many people primarily or most commonly by those who support that left behind or that futurism uh, view that we talked about last night. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is going to be page 1358 if you have one of our seminar Bibles from the table there. And I'd like you to notice what the Bible says starting in verse 13. Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians. He's speaking to us and he says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, there are a couple of things that I want to point out to you here out of these verses. First of all, you'll notice, if you look at verse 15 again, that it talks about those who remain until the coming of the Lord. Do you see that there? I just want to point out to you that that word coming in the original text in the Greek language, the word that is used to translate into English, that word coming is the word perusia. And I just want you to tuck that in the back of your mind because we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But this is a verse that many people who have that uh, futuristic view and that, that claim that, uh, that the, the people of God are just going to suddenly disappear or vanish, they use this uh, verse to, to come up with that view. Because notice what it says in verse 17. It says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up. Now, rapture just simply means caught up. But you're not going to find the word rapture in the Bible, it just simply means to be caught up. And so this is clearly talking about the rapture, and there's no question about that. But how we define the rapture is another story, right? Under that prevailing view, the rapture will be something that happens without people really realizing what went on, other than the people of God all of a sudden are missing right? They have vanished. The church disappears. And I want you to see something there in verse 16. Uh, Some people say that this verse is the noisiest verse in all of the Bible. It says the Lord Himself, in verse 16, will descend from heaven with a what? With a shout. Now, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I just imagine that when Christ shouts, it might just wake up the whole world, right? And so he, uh, he descends from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of an archangel and with what? A trumpet, right? This is a very noisy verse. Have you ever heard a silent trumpet? No. And look what happens here. Jesus Christ descends from heaven with a shout and with the blast of the trumpet. The dead in Christ are resurrected and given new glorious bodies. Those who are alive at His coming are going to be transformed and meet Jesus in the air. And notice that it doesn't say anything there about two separate comings. Right? Now, let me tell you why I mentioned that. That there are no two separate comings. Because the reason is that this uh, futuristic view that many people have about the coming of Jesus, they believe that there's going to be a secret rapture. That Jesus is going to come and steal His people away, and then that's going to go into this seven-year tribulation and the battle of Armageddon, and then Christ is going to come. uh, There's going to be a second second coming, and He's going to come in all His glory. And I call it a second second coming because the Bible doesn't say anything about a third coming of Christ, right? So if they're saying He comes once and steals away, that's the second coming. And then a second second coming after the battle of Armageddon when He comes in all of His glory. And so we have to uh, take the verses of the Bible... And we have to talk about this second coming and see what it says. And we realize that there are not two separate comings. Now, what I want you to do here is I want you to put on your thinking caps. Because as we go through these verses tonight, I want you to ask yourself, does the Bible say anything about two separate comings in any of the verses that we're that we're going to look at from the Bible. And I'm just going to tell you right now, they don't. But I want you to look, and I want you to ask yourself that question. Is that prevailing view correct that there's going to be two second comings? Very simply, in verse 16, it says that the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air, and thus, or in this way, we will always be with the Lord. That's pretty clear, isn't it? But even having said that, those secret rapture promoters say, but yeah, to be caught up means a vanishing or a disappearance, right? Now, let's just give them a little bit of credit here. If you took that one verse all by itself and you said that they were caught up and you looked only at that, you might say, yeah, maybe they have a point that it could be a disappearing or a vanishing. But remember what we talked about. How do we study the Bible? We have to allow the Bible to interpret itself, don't we? We have to take what Isaiah told us in 28 verse 10, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. We've got to put it all together and see what this is saying. And so if we are going to truly understand what it means to be caught up, then we've got to go back and we've got to look at that time when Jesus Himself was caught up or taken up into heaven, right? So let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, that's going to be page 1252 of your seminar Bible. And I want you to notice what it says in verse 6. It says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And then Jesus gives them an answer, and we can skip that and go down to verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come 
in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, I have a question for you. Did the disciples see Jesus leave? Yes, and I, and I want you to notice there how many, how many words there are that are referring to vision or sight. Notice what it says. It says they were watching Him, right? They saw Him go out of their sight. They looked, they beheld, they gazed, they saw, right? And so they saw Jesus leave. And it says this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. In other words, it's going to be exactly the same way, only in the opposite order, right? You're going to see a cloud, and then you're going to see Him come out of the cloud, and then all of His people are going to be caught up in the air to meet Him. And so here we see the Bible telling us exactly what it's going to be like. And uh, the angel tells us exactly what that's going to be. So according to the Bible, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be visible, isn't it? We're going to be able to see Him coming just like when He left. And uh, He won't be here and then gone with the righteous and nobody see that happening because they said it's going to be the same way. Now I want you to notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. It says, Behold, He is coming with clouds and what? Every eye will see Him. Now what does that mean? Well, you have two eyes and so you're going to see Him with both eyes, right? But that word every is indicating that every person is going to see him right and i'll just throw this out there and see what you think does that mean that even the blind are going to be able to see just food for thought but it says every eye will see him notice what jesus said in matthew 24 verse 26 through 27 if they say to you look he is in the desert do not go out there or look he is in the inner rooms do not believe it why is Jesus saying this to us? In this, in this passage, He's describing to His disciples what's going to happen at the end. And He says, don't believe it. And why shouldn't we believe it? Well, He gives the answer in verse 27. He says, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Is that clear? If somebody tells you that he's over here or that he's in the inner room, don't believe it because everyone is going to see him. And just like when lightning goes across the sky and you see it from the east all the way to the west, everyone is going to see Jesus coming. Now, at this point, I want to address one of those passages or a reasoning that people use to believe that the saints just vanish away. There are people that say, well, doesn't the Bible say Jesus comes like a thief in the night? Actually, it does. Let's go look at it. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's going to be page 1397 in that seminar Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3. And notice what Peter says... In verse 10. I don't know if your Bible's like mine, but right above verse 10, it's got a caption that says the day of the Lord. So this is talking about the second coming of Jesus, right? And notice what Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. But the day of the Lord, that's the second coming of Jesus, will come as a what? As a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, but the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And so there are people that look at this verse and they say, See, Jesus is coming like a thief in the night, and a thief comes to steal, so He's coming to steal His people away. Well, that sounds like pretty good logic, doesn't it? If we look at that one verse. And so we, we think, well, He must be coming to steal them away. 
But whenever we want to interpret a passage in the Bible, what do we got to do? We've got to put it in the proper context, don't we? We've got to look at everything around it. We've got to take that line upon line and put it all together. And we have to see what it is saying, what it means when it is saying Jesus comes as a thief. Now, let me ask you a question. Does this verse look like a secret event? It says that Jesus comes like a thief in the night, but then what does it say? It says that the heavens are going to pass away with a great what? Noise. And then there is going to be this mass destruction. Now do you think that that could happen and no one would notice? That this is going to be a secret event? No. This doesn't sound like a thief sneaking around, does it? And so what is he saying when he's talking about coming as a thief? I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that's going to be page 1358 in that seminar Bible. And notice what it says starting in verse 1. And again, if your Bible's like mine, I have a caption over chapter 5. It says, Day of the Lord. So this is talking about the coming of Jesus, isn't it? It says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Now, what is Paul telling us here? What he's saying is that Jesus coming as a thief has to do with the timing of His coming, not the manner of His coming. Remember, we just learned that the manner of His coming is that it's going to be literal, it's going to be visible, and it's going to be audible, right? This is not a secret coming, even in this passage that refers to him as coming like a thief in the night. It is not a secret coming, but it is a sudden coming to those who are unprepared. And that's why it refers to him as coming as a thief. When does a thief come? He comes when you're not prepared, when you've left the door unlocked, right? Or you left the window open. And so this isn't talking about the manner of His coming. It's talking about the timing of His coming. Now, let me ask you another question. Are the unrighteous going to have a second chance after His coming? Because remember that prevailing view is that He's going to come and secretly steal His people away and then there's going to be those who are left behind, those who were perhaps in the church but really were just kind of going through the motions, didn't have a a relationship with Him, those who had no faith at all and didn't want God, and then the Jews as well. And then they're going to have this second chance to get themselves right with God before He comes in all His glory, according to that view, right? But what does verse 3 say? We're still in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3. It says, Sudden destruction comes upon them, and they shall not what? Escape. Right? This is not picturing a secret vanishing of Christians, and then all of these other people left to just kind of try and sort it out and try and get their lives right with God. What this is saying is that what we need to do is we need to prepare now, right? Because when Jesus comes, there's only going to be those who are taken with Him and those who are destroyed. And so now is the time for us to get our hearts right with Jesus and to uh, surrender to Him. And, And have you noticed that in the four Gospels that Jesus repeatedly said to us, watch. Right? He is telling us to watch and to prepare so that we are not overtaken by the cares of this world. And He's talking about His coming as a thief in the night. And so He's coming at a time when people are saying peace and safety, 
but sudden destruction will come upon them and they will be unprepared. But then he goes on to say that you and I don't have to be unprepared, right? Isn't that what he's telling us? But nowhere in this passage about this thief in the night is there any idea or thought of the righteous who are just vanished and then the rest are just left to try and sort things out. Now, let's look at another passage that is spoken of by those who hold that futuristic view of the secret rapture. And they believe that when the Bible speaks of the twinkling of an eye, they say that we are going to heaven in the twinkling of an eye, right? And so they say, well, doesn't the rapture happen in the twinkling of an eye? Well, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and let's see what it says. That's going to be page 1325 in that seminar Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and notice what it says starting in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Now this is a wonderful passage in Scripture that talks about the hope of the resurrection, isn't it? But notice, what does it say happens in the twinkling of an eye? It says that we shall all be changed. That's right. It doesn't say that we're all going to go up into heaven, but it says that we're all going to be changed. Now, it also says there that we're not all going to sleep, right? And what does that mean? Well, it means that when Jesus Christ comes, some of His believers are going to have died, and they'll be in the grave, and then there are some who are going to be alive. And... That's exactly what Paul told us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we read earlier, didn't he? He said the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air, and thus or in this way we will always be with the Lord. And so you have two classes of righteous people at the coming of Jesus. You have those who have died in Christ and are sleeping in the grave, and then you have those who are alive in Christ and they will be transformed and they will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And then he says that this mortal has to put on immortality. This corruption has to put on incorruption. And the point is that we are not going to heaven in this mortal body, right? You are not going to be able to go to heaven with this carnal nature that you have. And so you're going to be transformed. And I believe that we're going to be able to still recognize each other, but our bodies are now going to be perfect. There won't be any arthritis. No diseases. No signs of aging, right? We are going to be transformed. And how fast does that happen? In the twinkling of an eye. So this says nothing about Christians vanishing and others being left behind to find out what happened or to get their lives right with Christ. So clearly, it's just saying the same thing that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 did. And that is that there's going to be a resurrection. And when does that happen? At the coming of Jesus, right? When the trumpet sounds... The voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ rise, right? That's what 1 Thessalonians 4 said. It's just talking about the exact same experience, the exact same event, the second coming of Christ. Now, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, going to be page 1142 in your seminar Bible. That's those white Bibles that are laying on the table. Matthew 24. <clears throat> and I'd like you to notice what it says 
in verse 30 and 31. Jesus is speaking about His coming. And He says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. And now I want you to notice that in, in the passage that we read earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, where it said, those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, right? I said that that word coming was perusia. Well, this word, uh, this uh, verse here in, in Matthew 24, where it's talking about the coming, it's using that same word perusia. And so we're talking about the exact same event here, right? We're talking about the second coming of Jesus. But those who believe in that secret rapture, they say that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 proves that there are two second comings. But we can see that it's using the exact same language. It's the exact same event. But what you, you, you have here in Matthew chapter 24 is exactly what we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We have Look at the, the same words that were used. There, there's clouds, there's a noise, you have a trumpet, you have a gathering of God's believers, and they're transported through the air. But in here in Matthew 24, look at verse uh, 31 again. It shows that they are transported through the air. How? By the angels, right? And we didn't read that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but here we've got a little bit more information that, that's going on there as we are gathered together to meet the Lord in the air. Doesn't that sound like fun? Yeah, some people get scared, right? But I would just say to you, don't worry, they won't drop you. It's going to be okay. We will all meet the Lord in the air. Now, I want to point out something else to you too. Remember when, when we just read a moment ago where Jesus said, if someone says to you that, that Jesus is over there and there's somebody there and they're performing miracles, uh, whatever it might be, what did He say? He said, don't go. If they say He's in the inner room, don't go. Why not? Because as we look at what the Bible's revealing here, Jesus is going to descend from heaven but His feet are not going to touch the ground at His second coming because we are going to meet Him in the air, right? So if someone says that Jesus is over there and you didn't see Him come and, and, and He's walking around on the earth, that's not Jesus, right? Because he is, we are going to meet Him in the air. His feet are not touching the ground. Now let's summarize what we've learned so far. We first saw that Jesus is literally going to descend from heaven with a shout and with a trumpet blast. We saw that the dead in Christ are going to be resurrected and taken up along with the living believers in that same visible way that Jesus was 2,000 years ago. Both the resurrected and the living saints are going to have their mortal bodies transformed into immortal bodies in the twinkling of an eye. And then this glorious day is going to appear suddenly to the wicked who uh, are not expecting Him. And He's going to come like a thief in the night. But then it also says that sudden destruction is going to overtake the wicked who are alive at the coming of Christ and they shall not escape. Now, I know when some of you hear that the wicked are going to be destroyed, you're, you're thinking... Well, that just doesn't jive with what I've heard uh, from this futurism view, right? And I will just say to you, you're right. It doesn't jive at all, does it? But what does the Bible tell us? Now, I want you to know that this left-behind theory and this, uh, this second, second coming and that seven-year tribulation all the way out at the end of time, we didn't see any of that in this, did we? Now, I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
Second Thessalonians chapter one is going to be page 1360 in your seminar Bible. I want you to notice what it says in Second Thessalonians chapter one, starting in verse seven. Paul says to us, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Now, how about that? Right? What does that say? It says that Jesus is going to be revealed, that the wicked are going to be destroyed, and then the righteous are going to be glorified. Just like the rest of the verses that we just read. Right? The Bible is very consistent in this event. And then some people say, well, but what about all of those who are left behind? I mean, there couldn't be this huge series of books that have sold millions of copies unless there's some validity that the fact that the Bible talks about people being left behind, right? Well, in fact, the Bible does talk about that. Let's look at it. I want you to turn with me to back to Matthew chapter 24. It's going to be page 1141 in your seminar Bible. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. And notice what it says in verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when all these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one, what? Deceives you. And if you continue reading down to verse 28, you will discover no less than four times that Jesus says, Don't let anyone deceive you. Why does he say that? I think it's because when it comes to the manner of His coming, there is mass deception that is going on at the end of the world. And that's my belief, and I think that we are seeing that today in what many Bible prophecy teachers are teaching. Right? They may not even realize that they are deceiving others. They may not realize they're deceived themselves in this futuristic view But I think that the reason that there's this confusion is because of what's being taught. Now, I want you to notice, look what it says in verse 37. Matthew 24, verse 37. And let's let Jesus tell us what it's going to be like at His coming. He says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other one what? Well, the one was going to be left behind. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Now, I have a question for you. Was the flood a secret? No, it it was a surprise, but it wasn't a secret, right? And Jesus says that just like that flood surprised those who refused to believe Noah's message, that the same thing is going to happen at the end of time, that him coming as a thief uh, upon the wicked of our day. But what about that phrase, 
one will be taken and the other one will be left. Well, let me ask you, in the days of Noah, there were two classes of people, right? There were those who were kept alive through the flood, and there were those who what? Were destroyed by the flood. That's right, two classes of people. Those who were dead and those who were alive. One class is going to be caught up to meet Jesus in the air, and the other is going to be destroyed by the brightness of His coming. Isn't that what the rest of all of the texts that we've read have said? Now, let's look at what it says in the parallel story of this in Luke. Hold your place here in Matthew, but I want you to notice what it says in Luke chapter 17. That's going to be page 1206 of your seminar Bible. All right, uh, let's look at verse 26. Jesus is speaking, and He's going to tell us the same thing that Luke told us. And as it was in the days of Noah, so will also the days of the Son of Man be. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built, But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now skip down to verse 34. Notice what he continues to say. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken, the other one left. Two women will be grinding together, the one taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field, the one will be taken, and the other left. Now notice that this doesn't say anything about one class being taken and the other one left to just kind of try and figure out what happened and get their lives right with God, right? It doesn't say that at all. Very clearly, it says that there is going to be one class that is alive, those who are going to be caught up in the air to meet Jesus, and then there's going to be the other class that is going to be destroyed. It is consistent throughout the Bible. And to prove my point, I want you to look here in Luke 17. Look with me at verse 37. Notice what it says. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Now, if you held your place there in Matthew 24, go back and look at verse 28. Because it doesn't say... Uh, like it does here in 37, where the body is, but it says where the what? Where the carcass is. And what's a carcass? A carcass is a dead body, isn't it? Yeah. And so here we see that it's talking about those that are caught up in the air with Christ and there are those that are destroyed and the bodies are laying on the ground. And why are they laying on the ground? Because all God's people have gone with Him to heaven and all the people on earth are destroyed and there's no one there to bury the bodies. So what happens? The birds come and eat the dead bodies, right? Now, I want to show you something else. I'm not going to take you there, but you can write this down. Revelation chapter 19, verse 17 and 18, and I'll just read it to you. It says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and this is talking about the day of the coming of the Lord. It says, I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And so we see all of these birds coming and eating all of the dead bodies, right? Sorry if that's a little gross, but I'm trying to point that out. But then you go to Job chapter 39, and in verse 27 and 30 it says this, Does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nest on high? Its young ones suck up the blood, and where the slain are, there it is. And so what's it saying? It's saying that there's one class of people that are going to go to heaven, and there's one class that are going to be destroyed and eaten by the birds. It's very clear in the Bible. It says nothing. And you can read every text in the Bible. It says nothing about a secret vanishing away 
or two second comings or anything like that. It simply says, now is your opportunity to get ready because when Jesus comes, He's either going to take you to heaven or He's going to destroy the wicked. Everybody is just going on with their lives, but there are some people that are going to be ready and there are some people that are not. And we want to be among those who are ready, right? Now, there are people that believe in that popular view of that secret rapture, and they say that that is going to happen before the Antichrist is revealed, right? What's that popular view? That there's the secret rapture, and then the seven-year tribulation, and then the Antichrist is revealed, right? That's that popular view. But let's see what the Bible says about that. Turn with me back to 2 Thessalonians, but this time go to chapter 2. That's going to be page 1360 in that seminar Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and notice what it says starting in verse 1. The Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonians, and he's saying to us, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the what? The falling away comes first, and the man of sin is what? Revealed the son of perdition. And so what is Paul saying here? He first of all says, don't let anyone deceive you, right? And then he says, there must first be a falling away first from the truth, and then the Antichrist will be revealed, and then we will be gathered to meet Jesus. He's giving a chronological order of things, right? The Antichrist must appear before the second coming and in that futuristic view the second coming is first and then the antichrist is revealed so he says let no one deceive you by any means and we already studied about the antichrist didn't we and we know that he's already here and that deadly wound was healed and he is gaining in prominence today isn't he and uh You know, so the Antichrist doesn't appear in in this futuristic view. Think about this. If the Antichrist doesn't appear until after the second coming, then guess what? We're all left behind. But that's not what the Bible says, right? But in that view, if that's true, then that second coming happens before the Antichrist is revealed. Now, what about the tribulation? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. It's going to be page 1420 of your seminar Bible. Revelation chapter 16, and let's look at verse 15. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Behold, I'm coming as a what? As a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, do you know where you're reading there? I mean, obviously you're in Revelation chapter 16, right? But notice from verse 1 up to verse 16 what's going on. By the time Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming as a thief, we are already in the midst of the sixth last plague, which is obviously during the tribulation, right? Notice what it says there. And then you go down to verse 15, and it says, and they are gathered together in the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. So this is clearly during the tribulation, isn't it? And notice that five bowls of God's wrath have already been poured out on the earth. And if you go back and you look in verse 2, you'll see the first plague that's the foul and loathsome sores that come upon men verse 3 talks about the sea turning to blood 
Verse 4 talks about the rivers and springs of water becoming blood, the, the sun scorching men. So this is clearly during the tribulation, isn't it? But notice what's being said. At the time of verse 15, which is definitely during the tribulation and right before the battle of Armageddon, Jesus hasn't come yet. Right? He says, behold, I'm coming as a thief, right? So, rapture promoters see this as the mysterious disappearance of the church. Right? So clearly, if the church has not been raptured yet, and we've already gone through five of the seven last plagues, then guess what? The church, that is you, God's people, are going to be going through the tribulation. You see that, don't you? Look at what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the what? In the evil day. How are we going to be able to stand in the evil day if we've already been taken to heaven? What? What about what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 13? But he who endures until the secret rapture shall be saved. Is that what it says? No, he says, he who endures till when? To the end shall be saved. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, so you're telling me, Pastor Rod, that I might have to go through seven years of tribulation? Nope. I'm not saying that at all. Because the Bible doesn't say how long the tribulation is going to be. Remember where that seven-year tribulation comes from. That comes from that 70th week of that 70-week prophecy of Daniel chapter 9 when they took that 70th week and moved it all the way out to the end of time and said that's going to be the seven years of tribulation. But the Bible doesn't give a time for how long the tribulation is going to be. And my personal opinion is it's going to be shorter than that. Because you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24? He said, except for the elect's sake, the tribulation shall be shortened, right? So let me show you a couple things. Turn with me to Revelation 13, or you're already here, uh, and let's talk about this tribulation for a moment. Now, you remember that in, in our previous studies that we already talked about the first beast of Revelation chapter 13 being spoken of from verse 1 to 10, right? And then we spoke of the second beast from verse 11 to the end of chapter, verse 18. And so we're going to be in verse 14. So clearly we're talking about the second beast who we saw is also known as the false prophet, right? Notice what it says. And he, that's the false prophet, deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, I want you to to see a couple of things that are happening here. First of all, I want you to realize that there is persecution going on here with God's people, isn't there? This is talking about this time of the end of the world and He is persecuting God's people. And so we need to realize that if we are going to be going through the tribulation, that there are going to be many people who are going to lose their life. Because they're going to take a stand for Jesus and it's going to cost them, right? But that doesn't mean that everyone is going to lose their life. Because remember what Paul said. He said, and those who are alive and remain at the coming are going to be transformed, right? So there will be some people that are going to make it through. And I just want you to know that God knows who can handle that and who can't. 
right? And he is going to be very fair, just like he was in the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, when there were millions of people who lost their life because they took a stand for Christ. Now, having said that, this period of what comes next is a time of decision. Because everyone, including the church, including you and me, at some point we are going to all have to make a decision whether or not to take that mark of the beast. And so there is going to be persecution during that time. But once everyone has made that decision, then the seven last plagues start to fall. And it's interesting to note that those seven last plagues, they don't fall on God's people. They only fall on those who have taken the mark of the beast, right? Remember, go back to the Old Testament and look at what we have as an example of the plagues in Egypt, right? There were ten plagues in Egypt. The first three affected everybody. And then the last seven only affected Egypt Israel was not touched by that. And now in the book of Revelation, now at the end of time, you don't have those first three plagues that affect everybody. You only have the last seven, which only affect those who took the mark of the beast. And then you go to Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 and 10, and it says those who receive the mark are the ones that are going to receive the wrath of God, right? And in Revelation 16, verse 1 and 2, at this point, the only ones that receive the mark are the ones who receive those plagues just like those plagues in Egypt and what we learn here is that we all are going to have to endure till the end right including making that decision about the mark of the beast which we're going to talk again about in a few nights so yeah there's going to be that persecution now let me talk to you about another verse revelation chapter 4 verse 1 It says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. And there are some people who have that futuristic view, that secret rapture that say, see, this is the rapture. It says, come up here, right? But friends, that is such an obscure verse. And if we're going to build our Bible doctrine around one verse, I certainly wouldn't want it to be that one, right? Because we have to put it in the proper context. That, that John is in vision, and Jesus says to him, come up here, I want to show you something else, right? And so to say that that's the rapture, that's pretty obscure. And so we have to be very careful uh, how we build our Bible doctrine. We want to make sure that we're putting line upon line, precept upon precept. Remember we talked about lining up those fence posts? And we're going to take that one or two that seem to be saying something else and we're going to try and bring them in line with the rest. And if we can bring all of them in line, then we can be pretty certain that we have the correct interpretation. So we need to allow the Bible to interpret itself, don't we? And so what did we learn? We learned that the Bible does not support a seven-year tribulation. We learned that the church is going to have to go through the tribulation and that the church itself is going to have to make a decision about whether or not to take that mark. And then we also saw that when Jesus comes, there's no second chances, right? So now is the time to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord. And it's very clear. It says that that is going to come upon them as a snare on all those who dwell on the earth. And so it's not going to be as clear as people think. I've had people say to me, well, uh, I'm going to just start watching for the plagues, and when I see that first plague, then I'm going to get my heart right with Jesus, right? But friends, it doesn't work that way. If you cannot surrender your heart to Christ now and keep the commandments of God now, how are you going to, in a relative time of ease, how are you going to do it when you can't buy or sell and people are trying to hunt you down and kill you? Right? We have to make that decision now. We cannot afford to procrastinate. We can't blow it, right? There are only going to be two classes of people at the end those who are saved and those who are lost. And we want to be among that group of people that in Isaiah 25, verse 9, say, This is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us, right? 
And then there's going to be that other class of people who are just indifferent to the warnings of Jesus to watch and prepare for His coming. And they are going to be caught totally unaware. And what do they say? Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Two classes of people. Those who are eagerly waiting for Him And those who are going to cry out to the rocks and the mountains to fall on them because they were expecting a Savior from tribulation rather than a Savior from their sin. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to who? To all those who loved His appearing. I want to close today with a, with a story about a farmer who owned some land along the Atlantic seaboard. And he was looking for a foreman to run his farm. And it was always difficult to find someone because of all of the awful storms that raged across the ocean and just wreaked havoc on the buildings and farms. Uh, people just didn't want to be responsible for that. But one day, a man came to interview with him for the job and the farmer uh, asked him many questions but one question in particular was are you a good worker and the the man said to him i can sleep when the wind blows and the farmer didn't really understand what he meant by that but he was desperate he needed a work hand a, a foreman and so he hired him and sure enough that foreman was the best foreman that he ever had He was thorough. He was good with the men. He got things done. But one night, the wind began to howl loudly in from the ocean. And that uh, farmer jumped up and he grabbed his lantern and he went over to the building next door where all of the hired men were sleeping. And he grabbed that foreman and he said to him, Get up! There's a storm coming. And the foreman rolled over and he said, No! And the farmer was so incensed by his response, he said, you're fired. And the foreman turned around and he said to him, I told you I can sleep when the wind blows. Well, the farmer grabbed what he could and he went out to start preparing for this storm that was coming. But to his amazement, he discovered that the haystacks were already covered with tarps and tied down tightly to the ground. The cows were in the barn, the chickens were in the coop, the doors were barred, the shutters were closed, and everything was tied down so that nothing would blow away. And then the farmer understood what his foreman meant. Because, brothers and sisters, if you prepare for the storm that is coming, you don't have to respond or be caught by surprise when that storm comes, do you? You're already ready for it. And so I ask you tonight, do you want to receive that crown that is only for those who are committed to Christ Jesus and they can look with eager expectation at the coming of Jesus. Rather than having fear for sins that have been unconfessed or unrepented, it's only for those who love His appearing. And so friends, I want to give you a chance tonight to prepare for His coming. And I want to appeal to you in a way that we haven't done so far. On your tables there, you have some decision cards. And those are going to be passed around, but I'd like you to take a look at those. And you'll notice that the first thing it asks you for is to put your name on there. And I would surely appreciate that if you would do that. But look at that first question. It says, I understand from the Bible that the coming of Jesus will be literal, visible, and audible. If you agree with that, would you circle number one? And then number two says, I want to be ready for the coming of Jesus. If that describes you, please circle number two. Number three says, I want to be baptized or rebaptized to seal my commitment to follow Jesus. If that describes your desire, please circle number three. 
And then number four says, I have questions and would like a personal visit. And if that's you and you would like to sit down and talk to someone about your faith or anything else, please circle that one and we will make sure that we get to you. And I would also add to that, if you have any special prayer requests, please go ahead and write those down on the back and we would be happy to pray for you. All right, so I'm going to give you just a moment to fill those out and then we will pray. You can either just lay those on the table and we will pick them up or you could take that and drop it off uh, to our uh, ladies at the table on your way out and they are going to give you a handout as well. I see that most of you are done and I'll give you time afterwards to finish those, but let's go ahead and pray. Oh, loving Father, Lord, You're so clear and You're so consistent in Your Word. And You are giving us the things that we need to prepare for Your coming. And Lord, we believe that it's just around the corner. And we want to be right with You. And so I want to pray for each of us, Lord, that we would surrender our hearts to You. That we would begin that preparing process. If we've already began, we would continue and we would always stay ready for Your coming so that we're not caught by surprise. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us that You would continue the work that You've begun and bring it to completion in the day of the coming of the Lord. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.